Hi, I'm Scott Brown, founder of Harriet Brown In-House Legal Recruitment. Welcome to another episode of Lessons I Learned in Law, which is the podcast that I sit down with some of the most fun, bright and interesting people from the legal profession from all across sectors. I have a conversation to distill the lessons that they've learned in law and their career to date. And hopefully you'll leave armed with some new information and apply those lessons to your own career. I'm excited today to be joined by Fraser Simpson, who is Associate General Counsel at the Wellcome Trust. Hi, Fraser. Thanks for joining. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. So for those of you that aren't in the know, the Wellcome Trust is a charitable foundation focused on, quite topically over the past couple of years, health research. The aim of the Trust is to support science to solve urgent health challenges facing everyone. So yeah, doing stuff that I think has broad application for all of our listeners. But um, if you've listened before as well, you'll know that with each guest, we like to learn more about them as individuals. So we're keen to delve into um, Fraser's passion for travel and his young family and supporting supporting his young family and working. But Fraser, if we could just jump right in, if you kick off with lesson one, please. Yeah, my, my first lesson is is not to be afraid to take a chance, really to, to, to make sure you trying new things. I've done that a number of times through my career and, and it, it's really made things a lot more fun, but also helped me learn a lot more about myself, what matters to me. And, you know, that's not just moving jobs or organizations, but it's taking on interesting things that are happening in a role um, where you can really take a, a leadership role and have a go at things. A lot of people, I think, get get quite frightened at, at that sometimes. And it can be really daunting to do. But actually, if you do do it uh, quite often, it can really open up new ways of thinking, doing things, new opportunities for you and be a real sort of development thing. Great. When was the first time in your career you took a chance and tried something new? Um, yeah, I think um, actually probably before the, the formal bit of my career even started. When I was at, um, when I was at law school, there was a, a you know, financial crunch and uh, I, I had a training contract lined up at Linklater's and they'd offered the, the trainees in the year ahead of me what seemed like a ridiculous amount of money. It was know, 12,000 quid um, to, to delay starting their training contracts for a year. And I thought, yes, I want a bit of that because um, I want to go traveling. And, and uh, I was, got, made my mind up that that's what I was going to do and go and travel across Africa and it was all going to be great. And then right at the last minute, they said, oh, actually, financial crisis is over. Um, we're, not, we're not doing that again for your year. Um, <laughs> but but at, that, at that point, I you know, decided exactly what I wanted to do and was going to take the time anyway. So I took, took six months out. And it was right. actually through, through that that I got into you know, really getting into the voluntary sector, getting into what international development and aid is all about. And that actually has shaped the vast majority of my career because I really only spent a couple of years doing the corporate stuff with Linklaters before moving into the charity sector. So, yeah, yeah. It's interesting that that early exposure to it and, and yeah, had you not gone traveling there, had uh, might, have, might have denied the opportunity to experience that. And I remember when we first met years ago, what stuck out to me, I think you were you were talking around kind of turning your back on the corporate side of things at, at Linklaters, how early were you sort of fixed on on that not being for you? Yeah, I mean, I think pretty swiftly, to be honest. I mean, I, I enjoyed it and, and really loved the people I was working with. And, you know, the team I was in was, was terrific, but it, it just became pretty clear straight away that I needed more of a purpose beyond making money for other people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that that really opened my eyes to to what else I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I started looking around and realised that actually there was such a thing as <laughs> charity and social enterprise law. And and just just because you know big corporate firms don't specialise in something doesn't mean it doesn't exist and that you can't have a fascinating career. So yeah. you know it, 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 effectively about a year after. Uh, qualifying, I moved and, and specialised as a charity social enterprise lawyer, and that that became really quite defining for me and brilliant because you know I moved from being a the tiniest cog in the biggest machine to you know running running my own matters um, with the most diverse array of of issues that we were dealing with across a number of charities, and it was it was fascinating and it was a great introduction to all sorts of interesting things and a, and a real sort of early leap up in responsibility. Yeah, it's great when the passion and the career come come together, <laughs> so, so to speak. Um, yeah. But what had um, like at uni and be- prior to that trip to Africa, had you had an active interest in charity? And no, I mean, odd, oddly, not not particularly. Um, mm. You know, I'd, I'd I'd signed up to to a training contract at Linglaters because I thought you know I was going to have a big career in corporate law, and it, it really was you know an eye opening exercise of. of of spending six months traveling and, and appreciating different contexts that br- brought that alive to me. Um, that, that was the point at which um, that, that became a, you know, something I wanted to do. And a lot of people said, well, you know, are you mad? Um, but actually, you know, no, of course I'm not mad. You've got to do something you want to do. Otherwise you're, you're never going to be wholly in it. Yeah. I definitely agree. And a lot of the other guests that we've had as well have said similar things that you have to you have to believe in what you're doing. And I think you enjoy the things that you're good at and obviously vice vice versa, you're good at the things you enjoy. So that's good to hear. Do you think having had that practical exposure or I, I don't know what you would call it in, in Africa, the, the exposure to the the sector and at the at the coalface, did that did that help in opening doors into then becoming a lawyer within the charity space. It, I mean, o- over a period of time, I think so. I mean, what it what it did was to really give me sort of practical experience around um, community development programs and things like that in the early days, and, and spark an enthusiasm. Um, but it, you know, late later on, after I'd worked in charity and social enterprise law in private practice for a while, I took took six months living and working in Tanzania, and you know that that was a much more practical insight into um, in, into dealing within the Tanzanian context. Um, lots of really practical lessons around um, how you have to go about things. Um, and that was absolutely great. And that really unlocked, I think, um, a sort of path into in-house roles. So I had an in-house role um, with um, Plan International, big international NGO. And, you know, that that is what you're dealing with every day or operating in a development context in, you know, 50 countries around the world. Yeah. And, and where did you, we spoke about, or mentioned adventure travel. So where did you, where did you get to on those, on that uh, gap, gap yard, gap yard, was it? Uh, yeah. I mean, sadly the adventure, the adventure travel sort of slightly stalled with COVID, but also with a young family, but we, we, we still tried to travel with the little ones. So in fact, we took, um, took my eldest who's now five. We took her when she was six months out to Australia and Malaysia. Um, and my, my little one, we took out to who's she's, she's now three, but when she was six months old, we took her to Bali. But on the, you know, in the, in, in the, the early days, Golly, I had a, a this, this sort of first trip was a, an overland from from Nairobi down to Cape Town, and then uh, other other trips out in uh, West Africa. Drove up to from Accra in Ghana up to Timbuktu and back. Uh, it was a particularly fun trip, um, but also lot you know lots of fun work trips. Um, the, the the days at Plan International, you know, 
training sessions being delivered out in El Salvador and Cameroon, you learn a lot about what you're doing. I mean, lots of people think that law is writing and policies, and, and to some extent it is, but actually it's about communication and people and adapting that to different contexts. And, and it's great to be able to do that in some really different contexts. So moving on to lesson two, Fraser, if you could Yeah, um, for, for me, this one is, is kind, kindness repays and to really invest in nurturing relationships, not you know, not in a in a way that you're you're expecting a return, um, but you know, keeping in touch with with your you know colleagues, clients, helping people where you can. Um, you just never know when you're going to cross paths again, and you know, in future, if when you've been kind to people, invariably they bend over backwards to help you. And you know, I've had that at various times where I've I've wanted to change, and you know, I've I've left a role without having something to go to, and it's it's great to be able to then talk to people and and have people that are wanting to help sort of mentor and, and coach you through situations. And, you know, it's something I've really benefited from, but I, you know, very strongly try to do that with others. You know, we have trainees that go through our team and it's really important to me to try and, you know, make sure that that I'm able to um, be a sounding board for them and, and, and really, you know, invest in those relationships because you, you, know, you, you never know when, when, yeah. when you're going to um, collide again. Yeah. As a recruiter, obviously, it's, it's something networking, something that we do on a daily basis. And I think it's really important for me that you shouldn't have a vested interest in anything. Things work out, but being able to connect with people with like genuine, genuine interest, I think is really important without that vested interest that you said that's going to repay at some point. Ultimately, if you put good out there, then hopefully it comes back and is rewarded as such. Where did you learn that? Is it, is it something that's learned or is it just something that's ingrained? I, I think it's just something that sort of ha- happened, but, it, you know, you can you can really say it. I always try to keep in touch, you know, with, uh, you know, with every single job I've been through, you know, with keeping in touch with former bosses and, and colleagues. And, you know, it, it's amazing. Also, other, other people change direction entirely and, and suddenly that becomes relevant to something else you're doing. And, it, you know, it... it, it it's just a, a good thing and you know investing in those relationships just you know pays so many dividends mm-hmm. yeah and and you mentioned mentoring um and, and mentors mm. is it are you part of a, a formal structure or is it just something that you you try to yeah I've, do? I've never i've never really formalized anything um mm. but certainly you know keeping in, in, in a very sort of close mentoring relationship with one of my former bosses but also with with others that, that I've, I've sort of come across and worked with and, you know, very much just have a you know, re- regular um, sessions where we just sort of chew things around between us and, you know, talk, talk about interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, and in- invariably something interesting comes out of it or a new opportunity comes out of it or, um, and, you know, it's, it's, I always find that's a really good way of, of, of trying to get into a, a, you know, a problem that seemed intractable or, or whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. Have you had any coaching or more formal stuff on that front? Yeah, I have actually. We we did a um a, a pretty good senior leadership program at, when I was at, at Plan, um, and and part of that was a, a really interesting uh, sort of coaching scenario where we had an extended period of coaching that came out of it, which, which I found very helpful. Um, but what was what was really interesting was uh, having sort of observed 
um, f- facilitated um, uh, workshops. So we, we all tre- trekked off. Um, that being an international NGO, every year this happened somewhere around the world. Um, the year before, I think everyone had gone off to Zambia and had a marvelous time. My year, we got. Uh, put in a basement at Heathrow, All right. um, so not quite as glamorous. Um, but um, we had two, two days in a basement at Heathrow, but with with um, sort of career psychologists observing our behaviours in particular situations. Uh, and I found I found that really, um, you know, you, it sort of must be a bit like being on Big Brother, where you know for the first hour you think the cameras are watching you all the time and by the second hour you've forgotten they're there sort of like that you know everyone's on edge at the beginning but but then sort of relaxes into their natural state but at the end of the the you know, the workshop you've been through all these different scenarios and get this very sort of critical feedback around pretty much everything you've done that's been observed by an objective third party so very much a this happened and you did this and you said that did you mean it to come across like this mm-hmm. Uh, no, and you know, real exercise in self-awareness and self-reflection. Um, that was one of the more fascinating things that, that that came out of that program. Great. We spoke before coming on and, and recording, Fraser, and you've you've alluded to it as well. Just having young kids, I, I know from from conversations we've had in the past as well that you've been actively involved in on, on the paternity front so um you took shared parental leave is that is that right yeah ab- absolutely and and you know really important um you know not not only from my own perspective but also a, a gender equality perspective making sure that we we share the burden but also just making sure the kids have time with with each of us yeah. um so um you know very much the prime focus of the day is, is making sure we can uh, do the, the school drop-offs and pickups. But um, back in those those early days, yeah, took took share parental leave for for both of my daughters. Yeah. Um, so took ten weeks with with my first daughter, and and that was brilliant. Um, and passed in a flash, and and my my goodness, um, it, it, I'm so grateful we had it because it you know it wasn't a particularly easy birth experience. And um, and I, I sort of look at look at other people in the workplace who who, who get you know, two weeks or, or, or nothing at all as as, um, uh, as paternity leave. And I, I wonder how on earth we'd have managed. So I'm really, you know, grateful for, for the, the, the privilege I was able to, to, to take it. But it was wonderful. And, and, you know, you don't get that time again. And that, that's what really matters. And that, you know, the success of that really was the driver of, you know, absolutely have to take another period of shared parental leave with um, with my, my second. So um, my, my daughter was born really sort of extended that by combining it with leaving my, my role and right. so and ended up taking uh, taking about eight months which was brilliant you know you don't get that time again and it was it, it was great to do it and we, we were able in in you know both spells of time to be able to to go on you know on, on trips with the kids you know I mentioned we, t- we took uh, took them off to Bali while I was on share parental leave and um, blimey that's not something many people get to do so <laughs> no. re- really count my blessings on that one yeah, um, I'm sure there were some times where you weren't counting your blessings. Oh, yeah, as well. yeah. I mean, good, goodness. I mean, that, I, that, that that's really important. Is um, you know, it's 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 really not. Um, you know, it's framed as leave, but it's 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 the hardest hardest work ever, and it's it's wonderful. But but boy, is it full time, and um, and it's you know, great great to be able to to split that. Yeah, perfect. Was that something you had to you had to make a case for, or was it just in in your in your employer at the time? Was it something that was widely done? It, I mean, it was it, it it wasn't sort of widely done at, at where I was working at the time, but it was it was you know it was a, a right to be able to do it, and so um, we we ended up creating a 
policy and I, b- I believe others have, have since done it as well. So um, slowly sort of paving the way within a small organisation. And it's it's difficult within small organisations because, uh, you know, it's it, it, particularly um, in terms of arranging cover. You know, if somebody's away for a, a very long period of time, um, it, it's easy to get to get an interim to, to cover. But if somebody's away for, you know, seven weeks, 10 weeks, that's, that can, can pose a resourcing challenge. So I, I get that it can be hard, but it's, it's really important that organisations do do step up to facilitate that happening and to normalise it um, yeah. because it, it's it's such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great. And how, how about at, at Welcome? How do they support around that? Yeah, I mean, at Welcome is terrific. And, um, you know, I expect nothing less from an employer like Welcome. Um, and, um, you know, obviously, uh, haven't had any more children since being here. So I can't really talk to um, to, the, to the shared parental leave. But in terms of, uh, of, of wellness and agile working as well, there's a, a real focus on that. You know, I'm, I'm very lucky to work in a team where it, it's very much the norm uh, that we we you know, prioritize our own health and our families over everything else. And there's plenty of us that have young families. And so we're, we're able without thinking to be able to, you know, to, to, to work in a way that means we can do what we need to do to look after our families, um, which is great. And, and, you know, hugely appreciate that, that not everybody gets that. So I'm very grateful for that. On to lesson three, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This this one um, is 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 more about the way I work probably than than other lawyers. I, I always find when when speaking to lawyers, they they talk about precedents and templates, and they, they do things in a certain way because that's how they were done last year, and, and that's fine. But for me, actually, the laws about people and communicating and you know influencing the way people think and behave. And, and so I'd say, you know, what my learning has been: don't be constrained by precedents and templates, but be you know, be creative. You know, be be visual. Focus on user experience. Don't be afraid of starting with a blank piece of paper. Just because something's happened in a particular way before doesn't mean that's the right way. And I think I think um, it can be it can be tempting to you know, forget that you can be creative. Mm-hmm. I guess for for people outside the profession, it's not not known as being not an industry you would class as particularly creative, but definitely good to bring your own slant to it. Have you you moved into the director of ethics role? Is it something you've applied in in that position? Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. In fact, you know, my job started with a blank piece of paper, um, mm-hmm. sort of designing the function. Um, right. But it's you know, it's, it's what, what we're about is is focusing on how we do things, not just what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's 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 really sort of picking up mindset shifts and behavior shifts that we want to encourage in our staff, broadly relating to managing legal risks. So getting people to think about the things that they should be thinking about and act in the right way. And, you know, it's key pieces of that are around developing policies. Well, you know, great. But we all know that policies don't get read. They sit in they sit in the, the cupboard picking up dust. What what matters is how you bring that to life. Well, how can you how can you humanize it? How can you normalize it? How can you make people how can you drive thought processes and behaviors? And so, you know, what we're doing is is a lot of work that's that's really non-legal, but it's actually you know, closer to marketing almost. How do you hook people into a concept? Um, how do you get people to want to do training on anti-bribery? How do, you, how do you how do you elevate something from that topic that's categorized as dull and boring but important into blimey that's interesting I care about that um, and it's you know linking the why to the mission of the organization is so important and we're doing things like developing 
bespoke digital learning um, that really talks to you know why why things are important. We've we've just completed one on on data protection. We don't we don't start off by talking about data protection because or GDPR because that'll switch people off. We talk about the fact that actually what lies behind each piece of data we're looking to protect is a human being, and we care about human beings, and everybody does, and that sort of tries to bring it alive. Um, we've got a, a sort of communications program um, we're doing again just to, to try to ele- elevate these things. So we've, we've just slightly tongue in cheek, we call it the only way is ethics, and get people from interesting external organisations to come to talk about a particular compliance topic, but to link it through to Welcome's mission, so that we can understand on an individual basis that our our actions individually, when applied collectively drive the impact of our organization in achieving a, a much much bigger mission and i think you know that that sort of stuff is 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 really interesting and exciting and it's taking law from a set of rules to how can you use those rules as the basis for behavior change and behavior science yeah and by the sounds of it linking it to the values and the mission which is which is exactly. key and what resonates in a in, in that type of organization that's great do you think the last couple of years with working from home has stifled or created that environment where people can be more creative? Great question. I mean, I think to be honest, I think the the experience of working from home is tempting to think it's been the same for everybody because we've all lived in our own little world. But I, I suspect it's been radically different for everybody. Certainly for me, it's it's been wonderful in many ways and it's been extraordinarily challenging in many ways. The, sort of first three months of, of lockdown with, um, you know, two preschoolers at home uh, whilst both of us trying to work full-time jobs was a complete nightmare. And yet, you know, for, for others, it will have been a breath of fresh air. Um, and, and of course, there are plenty of people um, who live on their own um, or, uh, you know, living, living, with, living with people that they perhaps wouldn't have chosen to be living with. And it's, you know, it's been really very difficult. So, I th- I th- you know, I think it's been difficult for everybody. Um, but it's it's certainly given you know, from my my personal experience, it's given the ability to be, be creative. Um, but it, it, it's it's also been a different kind of creativity because it's been it's been much harder to think collaboratively. Teams and Zoom are wonderful, but it's not the same as being in a room with some sparky minds coming yeah. up with coming up with ideas mm-hmm. so you know it's been different yeah 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 this yeah good good answer it keeps yeah it definitely makes you think outside the box i think yeah having different ways of communicating i mean what what strikes me though is that quite clearly what was was and that won't be the future um so you know tech will evolve and our ways of working will evolve um and our experiences in and out of the office will evolve and that's fascinating on many levels it's it's also fascinating from a compliance perspective because suddenly the environment you're in changes and how do how does how does your behavior for example from abiding by the rules change from when you're in front of your colleagues to when you're in a room on your own there are some interesting perspectives around uh, around how how that environmental change shifts organizational integrity yeah that's a good point I'm going to spring this one on you, Fraser, on the, the last uh, <laughs> series three. I've been asking people, I guess, what they would confine to room 101 within the legal profession. What what one part of it, either legal profession, the law, a law, something, or within ethics and compliance, I guess, from, from your angle as well. Is there anything? Uh, there's probably too many things I'd confine to room 101. Right. 
For me, ties and dress codes. Yeah. I remember a, a particular point in my career where uh, wearing wearing brown shoes with a, a dark suit was frowned on and what a load of nonsense. Um, you know, it, it, I, I have no idea what ties are for and I, I much rather avoid wearing one at all costs. We should all be um, be able to be inclusive in the, the and included in the way we want to look and be and interact with people. And this sort of slight um, pomposity that comes with dress codes um, is, is something that I would I would confine to, to Room One Hundred One. That's a great one, you know, and, and and the way that plays out in 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 attitudes as well. Yeah, that I could really support and get behind that. I always felt as soon as you put a tie on, you just feel confined and act you have to act in a certain way more formal than perhaps comes naturally so yeah i can definitely support support that one thank you uh, <laughs> thank you so much fraser it's been really great to hear your lessons pleasure Well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Fraser Simpson at the Wellcome Trust. It's great to see how his own personal values align with the organisation that he's working within and to hear more about the great work that the Wellcome Trust is doing. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please check out the other episodes in the series. If you head over to herriotbrown.com forward slash podcast, you can listen to all those from series one and two. But I'm Scott Brown. Until next time, see you later.